Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. You may have noticed that I don't have ads on the podcast. That's because I want this space to be restful. And instead of reading ads, I'd much rather read you a relaxing bedtime story. That's why I created this podcast, to offer you a calming, listening experience where nothing else is needed of you. Only a quiet space where your imagination can be free to drift off far, far away from your daily obligations and to help you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the show, and want to support the podcast so we can continue making more sleepy bedtime stories, check out our premium membership where you can enjoy intro-free episodes, you'll have access to two bonus episodes per month, a monthly guided relaxation to help you get sleepy, and as of most recently, you'll have access to the entire audiobook Little House in the Big Woods, over three and a half hours of continuous storytelling to help you drift off. You can sign up today at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com Tonight's storytelling is from the book The Other Side of the Sun, a compilation of eight little stories by Evelyn Sharp. I'll be reading the first story, which is called The Weird Witch of the Willow Herb. So let's begin by settling in. Shift around until everything feels just right. Take a full, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, allow the body to softly land. Give your muscles and your bones permission to get heavy. Sense the weight of your body. Feel that pull of gravity as the tissues soften and areas of holding release. Feel the body getting heavier and heavier into the support beneath you. Give yourself permission to be productive just by being restful. And it's okay to rest now because there's nothing left to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story.
The weird witch of the willow herb lived in a pink cottage on the top of a hill. She was merry and beautiful and wise and kind, and she was all dressed in pink and green, and she had great eyes that were sometimes filled with laughter and sometimes filled with tears, and her round soft mouth looked as though it had done nothing but smile for hundreds and hundreds of years. Her pink cottage was the most charming place in the world to live. The walls were made of the flower of the willow herb, and the roof was made of the green leaves, and the floors were made of the white down, and all the little lattice windows were cobwebs spun by the spiders who live in fairyland and make the windows for the fairy queen's own palace. And no one but a fairy could have said how long the weird witch of the willow herb had been living in her cottage on the top of the hill. Now, anyone might think that this wonderful witch was so sweet and so wise that all sorts of people would be coming all day long to ask her to help them, for of course, that is what a witch is for. But this particular witch who lived in her pink cottage on the top of the hill, had not been living there all that time for nothing. If I did not keep a few spells lying about at the bottom of the hill, I should never have a moment's peace, chuckled the witch of the willow herb. And that is why most of the people who came to ask her for spells never got as far as the pink cottage at all, for they found what they wanted at the bottom of the hill, and no doubt, that saved everybody a great deal of trouble. Poor people, said the weird witch, with her voice full of kindness. Why should I make them climb up all this way just to see me? Sometimes, however, it did happen that somebody got to the top of the hill, or else it is clear that this story would never have been written. For one day... As the witch sat on the doorstep of her pink cottage, looking out over the world with her great eyes that saw everything, the little princess Winsome came running up the white path that twisted round and round and up and up until it reached the cottage at the top, and she did not stop running until she stood in front of the weird witch herself. She looked as though she must have come along in a great hurry for she had lost one of her shoes on the way, and there was quite an important scratch on her dimpled chin. But of course, it is difficult to walk sedately when one is going to call on a witch. I am Princess Winsome, she announced, as soon as she had breath enough to speak. To be sure you are, smiled the weird witch, who knew that before. And you have run away from home because? Because I want to find the bravest boy in the world, interrupted the princess, who never liked to let anybody else do the talking. Are they all cowards in your country then? asked the witch. Oh no, answered Princess Winsome. The boys in my country are so brave that it is no fun playing with them. 
They stop all the games by fighting about nothing at all, and it's dreadfully dull when you're a girl, isn't it? Perhaps it is, smiled the witch. Then why are you looking for the bravest boy of all? Ah, said the princess wisely. The bravest boy of all would never fight unless there was a reason, you see. And so we should have lots of time to play. But how am I to find him? The only way to find him is to let him find you, said the weird witch. And the best thing I can do for you is to shut you up in the middle of an enchanted forest, where no one but the bravest boy in the world would ever come to find anyone. Now, make haste, or you won't get there in time. And the princess with the scratch on her chin must certainly have made haste, for she had quite disappeared by the time the witch's next visitor came up the winding white path. And that happened the very next minute. This time, it was a boy who came along. A tall, strong, jolly-looking boy, with his hands in his pockets and his cap at the back of his head, whistling a strange wild tune that was made up of all songs of all the birds in the air, so that as he whistled it, every bird for miles round stopped to listen. I am Kit the Coward, he said, pulling off his cap to the witch. To be sure you are, smiled the weird witch, who knew that too. And you have run away from home because the other boys call you a coward, and you want to show them that you are as brave as they are. Only you won't fight without a reason. Isn't that it? Of course it is, answered Kit, who liked to have his talking done for him. But how shall I find something worth fighting about? That's not difficult, said the weird witch. All you have to do is go to the court of King Hurly Burly and ask him to give you something brave to do. The king is always going to war about something, so you will soon have as much fighting as you want. Now, be off with you, or else someone will get there before you. All right, said Kit. Which is the way? Any way you like, laughed the weird witch. But in what direction, asked Kit. It doesn't matter, laughed the weird witch. So Kit made her another bow and marched away again down the hillside, whistling the same tune as before, and all the birds of the air came flying along when they heard it, and they flew in front of him to show him the way and he followed them over the meadows and streams and orchards and cornfields until they brought him to the walls of King Hurlyburly City. And they would not have left him then if he had not pointed out to them, most politely, that although it was very obliging of them to have come so far with him, he would find it a little inconvenient to travel any further with so many companions. So they flew away again, and Kit marched into the city and up to the gates of the king's palace. I have come to fight for the king, said Kit, when the guards came out and asked him what he wanted. And he looked such a strong, fine fellow that they took him at once to the king. 
You have come in the very nick of time, said King Hurlyburly, for the commander-in-chief of the royal forces has overslept himself so often that I had him beheaded this morning before he was awake. The army is in consequence without a head as well as the commander-in-chief, so if you will become their general and invade the country of my neighbor, King Topsy-Turvy, I shall be much obliged to you. Why have I got to invade the country of King Topsy-Turvy? demanded Kit. The king pushed his crown on one side, which he always did when he felt puzzled. Now you come to mention it, he said. I believe there was a reason, but for the life of me I can't remember what it was. However, the reason is of no importance. Oh, yes it is, interrupted Kit. I can't possibly fight without a reason, you know. That's awkward, said King Hurlyburly. Perhaps the army will know. And he sent a message to ask the soldiers why they were going to war. But although the soldiers were all ready to begin fighting, they had not the least idea what the war was about. So the king's crown became more crooked than before. Won't it do if you invent a reason? he asked Kit, for he could not help thinking how nice it would be to stay home while his soldiers were being led to war by someone else. You may marry the Princess Winsome if you come back victorious, he added as an afterthought. But Kit only shook his head. He had never heard of the Princess Winsome, and he was not going to fight anybody without a very good reason for it. Then King Hurlyburly had a brilliant idea. Go and declare war on the enemy to begin with, he said, and perhaps they will remember the reason. There was certainly no harm in declaring war, so Kit rode off at once on one of the king's fastest horses and arrived the next morning at the court of King Topsy-Turvy, just as his majesty was sitting down to breakfast. I have come from King Hurlyburly to declare war, said Kit, who always went straight to the point. What for? asked King Topsy-Turvy. I don't know, said Kit. That's what I want you to tell me. The king ate two eggs before he replied. Well, he said presently, I believe I said Hurlyburly was a shocking old muddler. I suppose that's it. All right. When do you want to begin? I don't want to begin at all, answered Kit. Why did you say he was a muddler? Oh, just to make conversation, said King Topsy-Turvy, helping himself to marmalade. Then you don't really think he is an old muddler, asked Kit. Dear me, no, said King Topsy-Turvy. I never think. Then write that down on a piece of paper, and there needn't be a war at all, cried Kit. The king stroked his beard. Perhaps there needn't, he agreed. But I never write. I do, though, said Kit, who had learned to write while all the other boys were making catapults. You've only got to sign your name here. King Topsy-Turvy stopped eating breakfast, 
just long enough to sign the beautiful apology Kit had written on a sheet of notepaper. And then Kit jumped on his horse again and rode back to the palace of King Hurlyburly. Well, said his majesty, did you discover the reason? There wasn't a reason, and there isn't going to be a war, answered Kit. And he held out the beautifully written apology from King Topsy-Turvy. What? cried his majesty in alarm. Do you mean to say you've stopped the war? Of course I have, said Kit. And I have come back victorious, as you see. Didn't you say something about a princess? But, stammered the king, how am I to appease the army? The army has set its heart on a war. So had I, answered Kit sadly. But I never can find anything worth fighting about. Meanwhile, where is the princess? You have not won the princess, said King Hurly Burly, who was now thoroughly cross. I believe you are a miserable coward. That is what the other boys say, answered Kit, smiling. It is not my fault that there is nothing to fight about. Will you please send for the princess? The princess has run away from home, so I can't send for her, said the king irritably. She is shut up in an enchanted forest and surrounded with wild beasts and magic spells and giants. It is not at all a nice place for a princess to be in, but how am I to get her away? Why, exclaimed Kit laughing, here is something for your army to do. Let it go and rescue the princess. Nothing would induce the army to go near the place, explained the king sorrowfully. The army is too much afraid of being bewitched. Hurrah, shouted Kit, laughing more than ever. At last, I have found something brave to do. I will go and rescue the princess. So Kit the coward started out on his travels once more. And no sooner did he get outside the city gates than he began to whistle his wonderful tune and down swept all the birds of the air in hundreds, and they flew in front of him as before, and led him to the very edge of the enchanted forest. There they left him, for no one can help anybody to go through an enchanted forest, and Kit knew fast enough that he must find the princess by himself. He was not a bit afraid, though, and he plunged straight into the wood, without looking back. He had not taken two steps before he had completely lost himself. The trees were so thick overhead that not a streak of sunshine was able to get through, and the forest was so full of wild beasts that it was impossible to walk five yards without tumbling over a lion or a bear. But this did not frighten Kit at all for he had learned to talk the language of the woods all the time that the other boys were knocking one another on the head. And so he soon made friends with every animal in the forest, and they told him the best places to find apples and nuts and blackberries, and the bees brought him the very best honey they could make, 
and he grew so happy and so contented that he quite forgot he was enchanted and could not escape if he wanted to. But it is impossible to be happy for long when one is bewitched, and one day Kit found himself in a part of the forest that was more horrible and more frightening than any dark passage that was ever invented on the way to any nursery. It was not only dark, but it was strangely silent as well, and a curious feeling of gloom and unhappiness suddenly crept over Kit. If it had been a nice sort of silence, the sort we find when we get away from the other boys and girls into a place where it is quiet enough to hear the real sounds of the air, Kit would still have been quite happy. But here, there was nothing to be heard at all, not even the brushing of leaves, nor the blooming of the flowers, nor the growing of the grass. But the most frightening thing of all was when he clapped his hands together and stamped as hard as he could on the ground, for not a sound did he make. And when he tried to speak, he found he could only whisper, and when he burst out laughing, he made no more noise than if he had been smiling. Still, he kept his wits about him, for, of course, there was the princess to be rescued, and at last he thought of trying to whistle. At first he could not make a note sound in the stillness, but he went on trying until the wonderful tune he had learned long ago from the birds themselves began to echo once more through the silent forest. He did not get an answer at once, for really nice birds cannot be expected to go out of their way to a place where there is no sunshine and the flowers cannot enter into the conversation with them. But after a while, a very fat blackbird, who certainly had impudence enough for anything, came hopping along from branch to branch until he landed on Kit's shoulder, and with him came sunshine and sound and merriment into the very heart of the melancholy forest, for none of these things are ever far off when a blackbird is near. Kit gave a shout of joy and hastened after the blackbird, who was hopping along the ground in front of him, and the next minute he found himself standing in a blaze of sunlight in front of a high stone wall. Beyond the wall, he could see the tall towers of a great castle. But he did not trouble himself much about the other side of the wall, for on the top of it, with the sunshine pouring all over her, sat the most charming little girl he had ever seen. She had lost one of her shoes, and there was the faintest sign of a scratch on her round, dimpled chin, and her long black hair flowed round her shoulders in a way that some people might have called untidy, but Kit was sure, directly he saw her, that she had come straight out of fairyland, and he was too amazed even to make her a bow. Dear me! What are you doing here? asked the girl in a tone of great surprise. Kit took a step nearer the wall and pulled off his cap. Her voice reminded him that, although she belonged to Fairyland, she was still a little girl and would expect him to remember his manners, 
I have come to rescue the princess, he said. Can you tell me where she is? She lives in the castle over there, answered the girl. What are you going to do when you have rescued her? Well, I suppose I shall ask her to marry me, said Kit. Do you think she will? Ah, she replied gravely. That depends on whether you have my permission. Tell me who you are to begin with. I am Kit the Coward, he said simply, and he stared when she broke into the merriest peal of laughter imaginable. What nonsense, she cried. If you were a coward, you would never have got here at all. Is that true? asked Kit eagerly. Then do you think the princess will marry me? The girl looked down at him for a moment with her untidy little head on one side. Then she bent and held out her two hands to him. I think, perhaps, the princess will, she said softly. If you will help me down from this enormous high wall, we will go and ask her. So Kit lifted her down from the wall, which was quite an easy matter, for it was in reality no higher than he was, and the little girl was certainly the lightest weight he had ever held in his arms. What are you looking for? he asked, when he had set her on the ground, for she was kneeling down and turning over the dry leaves in a most distressed manner. I am looking for my crown, of course, she said with a pout. It tumbled off my head just before you came, and I was too frightened to jump all that long way to find it. Here it is, said Kit, as he picked up the little glittering crown and set it gently on the top of her beautiful rumpled hair. Then he started back in surprise. You are the princess, he shouted. Of course I am, laughed Princess Winsome, putting her hand in his. I knew that all the time. Shall we go home now? Kit did not reply immediately, for no one can do two things at once, and it took him quite a long time to kiss the small soft hand that lay in his one big one. And as for going home, when they did start, they did not get very far for it must not be forgotten that they were still in an enchanted forest, and it is easier to get into an enchanted forest than to get out of it again. However, as they had everything in the world to talk about, they would probably have been most annoyed if they had found their way instead of losing it. So they just went on losing it as happily as possible, until they could not walk another step because an immense giant was occupying the whole of the roadway. There he sat, smoking a great pipe that looked like a chimney pot that wanted sweeping. And when the princess saw him, she was so frightened that she hid herself behind Kit and peeped under his arm to see what was going to happen. Hello, said the giant in a huge voice that made the grass stand on end with fright, just as it does after a hoar frost. What's this? You're running away with the princess? To be sure I am, said Kit, and if you don't let me pass, I shall have to kill you. Oh dear, sighed the giant, raising a wind 
that made the trees shiver for miles round. They all say that, and there's no peace for a poor giant nowadays. When I was a boy, the prince was always put under a spell as well as the princess. However, I suppose I must make an end of you if you are determined to fight. And he laid down his pipe and rose most unwillingly to his feet. Kit laughed out loud with gladness, for at last he had found a good reason for a fight, and no one would be able to call him a coward any more. But before there was time to strike a single blow, the giant gave a loud howl of alarm, took to his heels, and in another moment was completely out of sight. Kit turned in amazement to his little princess, and then he saw what had frightened the giant, for all the animals of the forest, all the lions and the tigers and the bears and the wolves stood there in rows, waiting to help him. So there is no doubt that the giant would have been killed by somebody if he had not run away. Isn't it wonderful, said the princess in a whisper. But Kit covered his face with his hands. It is no use, he said in a disappointed tone. The other boys will never believe that I'm not a coward. Princess Winsome came and pulled his hands away and laughed softly. I think you're the bravest boy in the world, she said. Of course he is, chuckled a voice somewhere near. How stupid some people are, to be sure. And there sat the weird witch under a tree, all in her pink and green gown, with her great eyes brimful of fun and nonsense. And as the boy and girl stood hand in hand before her, and caught the glance of her beautiful witch's eyes, all sorts of muddles fell out of their heads, and they began to understand everything that had been puzzling them for years and years and years. That only shows what a witch can do when she's the right sort of witch. Dear little princess, cried Kit, it doesn't matter whether the other boys believe me or not, so long as you know that I'm not a coward. Besides, added Prince Winsome, we're not going to try to make anybody believe anything. I think we'll stay here instead, forever and ever and always. A very good idea, smiled the weird witch of the willow herb, as she nodded at them both. Always remain enchanted if you can. So they had the nicest and the funniest wedding possible on the spot, and there was no time wasted in sending out invitations, for all the guests were already waiting there in rows, with the exception of the singing birds, and Kit very soon summoned them by whistling a few notes of his wonderful tune. The princess laid her own wedding breakfast under the trees, and the wedding guests helped her by bringing her everything that was nice to eat in the forest, such as roasted chestnuts and preserved fruits and truffles and barley sugar cane and lots of dew drops and honey drops and pear drops. And the weird witch completed the feast by turning a piece of rock that nobody wanted into a wedding cake. And everyone will agree 
that it is better for a rock to turn into a wedding cake than for a wedding cake to turn into a rock. And all the flowers came of their own accord and arranged themselves on the table, which they certainly did much more prettily than anybody else could have done it for them. And when the wedding was over, they just walked away again instead of stopping until they were dead, which of course is what they would have done at any other wedding. And although the bride had lost her other shoe, by the time she was ready to be married, and although her beautiful hair was more untidy than ever, and her crown had tumbled off again and had to be brought to her by an obliging lion, Kit never noticed any of these things, and only felt quite certain that he was marrying somebody who had come right out of fairyland and was not an ordinary princess at all. No doubt, it was because he was in an enchanted forest that he had made such a mistake, and no doubt it is because he has never been disenchanted since he is making the same mistake to this day. As for the weird witch of the willow herb, she went back to her pink cottage on the top of the hill so as to be ready to make the next person happy who came up the white winding path. But before she went, she took care that all the singing birds should fly back to Kit's home and tell the other birds how brave he had been, which they did with the greatest pleasure imaginable. It is said that the story became slightly exaggerated, but when we know how much one little bird can tell, it is not difficult to imagine the kind of story that could be told by hundreds and hundreds of little birds. I hope you enjoyed the story. I wish you the sweetest dreams, my friend. Sleep well.